Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Let me read John chapter 4, and I'm going to begin actually with uh, verse 4. Now he, that is uh, Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this, or where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Uh, And then I want to uh, pick up on verse 39, um, and I did not tell our video folks about this, but verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did, so the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more came, became believers. And then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Um, let's say that you're scrolling through your Facebook feed, uh, and now with autoplay videos on mobile devices and uh, on, the, on web browsers, uh, you find yourself getting caught up with cat videos, uh, life hacks, and all kinds of other really, really important things, right? Maybe you've had that experience. But then you come across a post that says, uh, what's wrong with this picture? Uh, and then it shows uh, a picture that has something that's just a little bit off. Uh, and, and it's sometimes funny, sometimes ironic, uh, sometimes just odd. Uh, the truth is, is that this story of, of Jesus and the Samaritan woman has a couple of those, uh, those kind of what's wrong with this picture uh, type moments. In fact, I want to look at those moments uh, together and discover how this story can begin to speak into our lives. Uh, But if you've heard this story before, then you know that uh, when Jesus said that he had to go through Samaria, it wasn't totally 100% true. Uh, You see, Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. So anytime Jews were traveling by foot between Galilee and Judea, they would go around Samaria, even though it made the journey longer. And so Jesus, uh, by saying that he had to go through uh, Samaria, or the scriptures recording for us that Jesus had to go through Samaria, is actually... Uh, indicating to us that Jesus is, is more uh, following a calling than he is just making travel plans. Uh, if he were just making travel plans, he would have done what was standard, and that is go, simply go around the town of Samaria. And, and so right from the very beginning of the story, we, we realize that this is going to be a multi-layered story, uh, that this is going to be a story that is a little bit like an onion where you could just keep peeling the layers back and discover there's more and more and more uh, to find 
find out more depth of meaning in this story. Uh, but what I want to do today is I want to peel back just a couple of layers and, and point out a couple of those what's wrong with this picture uh, kind of moments in the story. And, and the first one is, uh, the first kind of what's wrong with this picture uh, is that Jesus, a Jew, is at a well with a Samaritan woman. Now this is made pretty clear and upfront from the text itself that this is an oddity and really shouldn't be. But, but this is in fact the case because first of all, uh, the Jew-Samaritan discord. Uh, But there's also some gender play going on here as well. Because in this culture, many devout Jewish men would not allow themselves to be alone with a woman who was not their wife. They wouldn't even find themselves in any situations at all in which it was just them and another female. Um, But if that situation was unavoidable, and you might say this was a bit unavoidable. Jesus goes to the well. At first, he's by himself, and then comes a a Samaritan woman. And so this this simply cannot be controlled. But if a a devout Jewish man found themselves in that situation, uh, where it was unavoidable that he's together with another female, he simply would have avoided any talk at all with uh, the woman. That was just standard practice for any devout Jewish man. Now, the reason for this was because private conversation with a woman was considered too risky. Uh, There was risk of impurity. There was risk of gossip. There was risk of speculation. And ultimately, there was, in fact, risk of being drawn into some sort of immorality. And so what I want you to hear is that this story, in this story, there are very clear social boundaries that have been set up, first between uh, Jewish men and, then, and women, and then between Jews and Samaritans. There's, the, there's these very clear social boundaries. And it would be wise, in fact, for Jesus to fall in line with them, uh, to, to, to look at these social boundaries and, and, and follow along with those. Uh, In fact, keeping these boundaries would keep the peace. It would make everything non-controversial. It would, in fact, give way. uh, It would be a way to respect the views of each people group. Uh, It would be to to avoid this situation. It would be a way to respect the Samaritans and their viewpoint. It would be a way to respect the Jewish folks and their viewpoints. Uh, In fact, it it would also be a way, following these very clear sort of social boundaries, would also be a way for one to find themselves and solidify their position within a particular group, that I am firmly inside of this camp. Uh, For example, Jesus might be able to say, see, look, I am thoroughly Jewish. I refuse even to talk to a Samaritan. That would be a way of, of firmly placing himself inside of the Jewish camp. Uh, But what we find from the story is, in fact, that Jesus uh, ignores these social boundaries. Uh, He enters into conversation with this this woman. Uh, Through his actions, Jesus is essentially saying that these social boundaries aren't nearly as important as you might think. But he doesn't break the social boundary by parading around. Uh, He doesn't do it by showing off what he uh, is doing. He's not trying to... uh, He's not trying to do it for self-promotion in order to show how uh, mature or progressive or uh, whatever other word you want to use or label. Uh, he's not doing any of that. He's not parading. He's not promoting himself. He's, he's simply just living a life uh, of love and service to other people. Uh, and it seems that in living this way, he offers hope. He offers healing. And he offers mercy to those who are thoroughly outside of his proper social circle. 
In fact, I would say to you that Jesus recognizes that a life devoted to the kingdom of God will lead him into relationship with people that aren't like him. Uh, let me say that again. Jesus recognizes and sort of intuitively, intuitively understands that, that a life lived inside the kingdom of God is going to bring him into relationship with people that aren't like him. Uh, that aren't like him maybe uh, from an ethnic standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a political standpoint. Uh, if you are going to live life of, of love and service to other people, there inevitably is going to be times where you come into contact with people who are not exactly like you, who don't view the world the same as you do. And in fact, in developing those relationships, Jesus is able to bring new perspective, new insight, and new conviction to his own tribe. And so let me, uh, let me be more explicit maybe about what I'm talking about. Jesus, although he is thoroughly Jewish, must break out of Jewish circles in order to challenge the status quo among Jewish folks. In fact, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus, growing up thoroughly Jewish, has an identity as a people of God, and so all, so all does the, the, the Jewish folks, the nation of Israel, growing up. We are God's people, and no one else is. We are in. They are out. And what the Apostle Paul, the way the Apostle Paul understands and interprets the ministry and life of Jesus is this. The Apostle Paul says throughout his letters, as the early churches were trying to wrestle with the life of Jesus, that Jesus has, in fact, sort of refounded the world on love and forgiveness. And in doing that, he has made available a citizenship in the kingdom of God and the people of God, but not now by ethnicity, now on the basis of faith. And so what the way in which the Apostle Paul understands the ministry and the life of Jesus is actually that Jesus is is welcoming new people based not on their race, but on their faith and faith alone. And so it is, in fact, Jesus' ministry in which he breaks social circles, in which he gets out of his, uh, outside of, of his proper social circle and begins to relate to other folks that he's then able to go and provide this new insight and, and provide this new perspective and, in fact, establish the very kingdom of God that we enjoy. And so for us today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I think there are very important questions that we need to be asking as Christians. And one of those important questions would be, what social boundaries are we upholding that really aren't quite as important as we might think? And this could be along any number of lines, right? And so I'm not trying to point out just one particular label or boundary at all. I'm just simply calling the church to ask the question, do we draw social boundaries that, that maybe quite, aren't quite as important as we previously thought. Uh, because for the Jewish person, not talking to a Samaritan was of critical nature. It was like, we are at war against these people. You do not associate with them. And yet Jesus goes to the well, finds himself in the presence of a Samaritan woman, no less. So now we've got all sorts of cultural boundaries just colliding in one place. And Jesus, living a life of love and service to others, offers her living water. So I think as a people of God, it's really important for us to begin to ask the question, are there social boundaries that we uphold and think are very important that maybe aren't as, as important as we once thought? 
I also think that we need to really be discerning that if we choose to break those social boundaries, if we choose to just simply ignore those social boundaries, then we ought to be asking some really hard questions about what manner are we doing so? In what manner do we go about uh, ignoring or breaking those social boundaries? Because listen, it is very, very easy and we are very prone to sort of breaking social boundaries and doing it as a parading to our own maturity or a promotion of self. Wow, look at me. This is no longer a concern for me. I'm so over that, whatever that might be. And I wonder if that's really more about you than it is about the other person. You see, whenever Jesus steps into an environment, the disciples in the Jewish community would say, what are you doing? Jesus is doing it out of love and service to other people. So, he's, so he finds himself talking and conversing with prostitutes. He finds himself at the dinner table of tax collectors, and he finds himself at a well with a Samaritan woman. You see, it's, a, it's like a pretty standard theme and, and, and reoccurrence in the life of Jesus that Jesus is actually just shattering social boundary after social boundary after social boundary. And I think maybe we should just be, uh, we should be asking good questions about how we then are to embody the life of Jesus as the people of Jesus. There is, though, another thing. Now, there certainly are more than this, but there's another thing that I want to point out this morning that is a what's wrong with this picture sort of moment. Uh, And so the second thing that is wrong with this picture is that the woman is gathering her water at noon. Um, You'll notice that in the Gospel of John, as you read the Gospel of John, and he includes a lot more detail than any of the other writers, but he doesn't do that flippantly, and he doesn't do that because he's trying to be colorful or artistic in his language. In the Gospel of John, uh, every detail matters. Every detail is pointing us to some sort of significance. And, and so he's very intentional, as John is, is writing and telling this story, he's very intentional to say that it is high noon. Uh, the sun is straight up in the sky. Uh, this is the time of day that this is taking place. Now, the reason this is peculiar is because the well was usually far away from the village. And because of the walk and the hard work that it was to gather and then carry water, uh, the women would, also, would, would, would often uh, go and gather their water in the cooler temperatures of either the early morning or the evening. And so the fact that she is at the well at noon shows that she is trying to avoid the crowd. This woman is trying to avoid the crowd. Now, starting in verse 16, which is a portion of the story we didn't read, we actually find that she's been in a whole string of relationships. Uh, Jesus calls her out and says, actually, you have, uh, you've had five husbands. You're now in, a sixth, uh, you're now in a relationship with a sixth man who uh, you're not marrying. Uh, and we kind of get this sense that maybe she's given up on marriage altogether. Uh, and so she's a, she's a broken woman, uh, for sure. And we, we learn that in the story. And so the fact that she's gathering water at noon, uh, combined with sort of what we learn about her life, really shows us that she most likely is going to gather water, not because she was busy in the morning getting the kids to school and didn't quite, couldn't quite get around to it, but, but rather because she's really trying to avoid the crowd. She doesn't want to rub shoulders with anyone who knows her indiscretions. She's trying to avoid being the center of additional gossip in the village. Uh, In short, she is dealing with shame from her lifestyle. 
She has been looking for love and significance and value, but she simply has not found it in romantic relationships. But the reality is that her search for those things in, in romantic relationships has left her alienated from her community. And so I, I want you to try to place yourself in the brokenness of this woman. She is looking for something. She desires something. And she, she's looking for love and significance and value. And the only way that she knows to go about finding those things is to find it in romantic relationships with people. And so she goes into romantic relationship after romantic relationship. And so inside of her is this deep desire for belonging. And at the because of her search, and it has led to this string of broken relationships, it has actually alienated her from her community. Can you see now, can we begin to understand why in the world she would, she would go and gather water at a, the completely wrong time of day? Because her search for belonging has actually left her alienated. And so she's there. She's gathering water at noon. She's isolated and alone in her brokenness. I'd be willing to bet that there are some of you here today that can identify with where she's at. Um, That maybe there is a brokenness uh, that you feel isolated and alone in the midst of that brokenness. Which is why when Jesus offers her living water, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll notice that she is very quick to take him up on his offer for this living water. The water that Jesus is talking about is not physical water. Now, you don't have to, you don't have to be a, a Bible scholar to sort of recognize that in this story. That, that what Jesus is offering her is something altogether different than just, uh, than just a different sort of water or physical water. Uh, but rather what he is offering her is a life uh, inside of her that bubbles out, uh, that is provided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you'll notice there is a, a verse in there that says, I, I offer you uh, this, this bubbling up, this welling up of eternal life. And so there's actually a, a play on language, and if you, peel, if you keep peeling the onion, you begin to see this. That in this culture, uh, they would have called living water whatever we call running water. So when we say running water, we mean the water that shoots out of our faucets or the rivers that flow through these beautiful mountains uh, or the waterfalls that we get to enjoy. We would say that's running water, but they would have referred to that, to that as, as living water. It's water that is not stagnant. And so there's already sort of this comparison. Jesus said, I'll give you living water. And she's like, well, where are you going to find living water? And she's saying that because they're at a well where water is stagnant. But Jesus is is pointing us to the fact that it's not just water that is running, but it's actually a living water. He's pointing us to the fact that what he's offering her in life with the Holy Spirit, a life given over to Jesus Christ, is there is this life that wells up or bubbles up inside of us, and it is the activity of the Holy Spirit that does that. And so when, when she recognizes, now we don't get a sense of how fully she recognizes this, but we do get a sense of how fully she experienced this, which is to say that faith and the practice of faith is, is just as experiential as it is intellectual. 
Sometimes we think we got to figure everything out in our heads before we can start living everything out. But part of the reason, part of the beauty of coming to the table, part of the beauty of baptism and dedication and all of these sort of practices and sacraments of the church is that we, we practice our faith because our faith isn't just intellectual. And so maybe she couldn't fully understand it, but she did fully experience it. We get that in the, in the passage of Scripture. Because, uh, again, I want, to, I want to read to you verse 39. Because what happens is Jesus, they have this conversation uh, where Jesus offers her living water. And she's like, where are you going to find that? And he says, I offer it to you. Uh, and then we have this whole conversation about her lifestyle and how she's been looking for love. But she's been looking for love in all the wrong places. I won't sing the song. I'll spare you of that. Um, and, then, uh, and, and then she goes back into the village and begins to tell everybody about Jesus. And I want to read to you what she says. Verse 39. Now, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And here's what the woman's testimony was. He told me everything I did. Wait a second. I thought that was something you were trying to keep, on, you know, like keep under wraps. I thought that was something that, that wasn't supposed to be just spread all around town. You were going to gather at noon so that you wouldn't have to to fester up the gossip. I mean, you were, you were doing all of these things. And so, but now she says, he told me everything I did. This was the very community that she was trying to avoid. And now she returns to, to, she returns to that community. And here her words are, he told me everything I have ever done. In other words, the living water of Christ has transformed her from shame and guilt into love and openness. And I think that that is, in fact, what an encounter with Jesus Christ does. That I want you to know today, and this is why I said that the, the incorrect scripture that I gave John is in the providence of God, because that talked all about the love of God. And what I want you to hear today is that day at the well, there was a woman who went to the well, isolated, broken, and alone. And she encountered Jesus, the living water. And her shame and her guilt was absolutely transformed by love and openness. When she was hiding her sin and living with guilt, she found what she was actually looking for which was real, authentic, life-changing love. You see, her search that had lasted most likely her entire life up to that point, her search for value, significance, connection, belonging, was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I just say to you today that our pursuit is only properly aimed when we are pursuing God and God himself. Because whatever it is that we are searching for in our pursuit is available to us and is ours in Jesus Christ. And the woman at the well learned that. She found that. She discovered that. 
she experienced that. And once she found real love, she couldn't help but go and share it with others. And even more alarming or more surprising or whatever the word you want to use there is that the people that she went to share it with are the very people she was trying to avoid. The very people that she was isolated from are the very people she went to to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And what we have here, when I was in seminary, uh, I took an evangelism class, and this was one of the favorite passages of our evangelism uh, professor because he said, this is all about evangelism. Because <laughs> what happened after this encounter was she went and transformed a city. That many Samaritans then came to believe that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. My prayer for us today is that his love would transform us. My prayer is that he, his love would transform us. And I feel like this is a good uh, just bridge into our, our coming series, uh, which we'll be looking and walking through Hosea. And I say walking through it, we're actually going to fly through it. Uh, we'll, we'll take a, a kind of 10,000 foot view of, of Hosea uh, over the next five weeks. But um, the story of Hosea is a story of God's unrelenting love in our lives. And so as sort of a preparation, as a foundation for that series, I wanted us to just look at this, this famous passage of Scripture, this really well-known story, and just allow it to speak into our lives and say, you know, if there's any guilt that we carry, if there's any shame that, we, uh, that just bears down on our heart and in our soul, that an encounter with the love of Jesus Christ will change us. Um, I think, though, sometimes we, we get into a mindset that all we need is that sort of one moment and our life is forever changed. And I want to say, yes, that's true, but we need a thousand moments after that. That, that we need to encounter the love of God, but then we need to do it again. And then we need to do it again. And then we need to do it again. In fact, for me, it's about every seven days when I just need a fresh look at the character of God and the goodness of God. And so we keep coming. In that way, I want to invite us to just keep coming back to the well where Jesus offers us living water. There's a church in Kansas City that named themselves Jacob's Well. Um, I think that's so appropriate. Such a tremendous story to, to build a church on. So is the story of the Emmaus Road, by the way. Um, but, <laughs> um, but may we experience the love of God today. I want to invite us to pray uh, a prayer. Uh, we typically pray prayers uh, together from the Book of Common Prayer, uh, but there's also a great uh, resource in the Revised Common Lectionary, uh, which outlines scripture readings for each day, but also has prayers for each day. And uh, we thought that the prayer from uh, the third Sunday in Lent uh, is a great prayer for us today. And so while we're, uh, we're missing out on the timing, we're not timing it quite correctly, thematically, we, we think it's a great fit. 
And so uh, let, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me and then I'll, I'll lead us uh, to the Lord's table. Uh, enduring presence, goal and guide. You go before and await our coming. Only our thirst compels us beyond complaint to conversation, beyond rejection to relationship. Pour your love into our hearts that, refreshed and renewed, we may invite others to the living water given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.